I want to talk to us today about the need to persevere in the faith. For the need to endure in the Christian walk and the need to continually cling to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Brethren, we need to grow. We need to grow in maturity. We need to grow in sanctification. We need to grow in our love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to understand that complacency in the Christian life is a great danger. We ought not be complacent. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that you have seen people baptized. You have seen people sit next to you in church for months, maybe years. You have served alongside with people. And as the years and the days and the months go on, they slowly drift away, no more to be seen. Paul speaks of the Christian life as a fight. He speaks of the Christian life as a race. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And folks, we know that in a fight, there are going to be certain rounds in a, in a, in a boxing match where you must endure. When times will be difficult, the testing comes and you must persevere to the end. We also know the same is true in a race. If, you're, if you've ever ran a race, or you've been a cross-country runner, or a biker, or anything, you know there are stretches in the race, in the marathon, where it's difficult. And you must endure. You must not drop out. You must not throw the towel in. You must press on to finish. And it's no different in the Christian life. We must press forward to know the Lord. We must endure. We must persevere in the faith. And the call to endurance is especially true in times of trials. And listen, folks, I, am, I have been thinking more and more about this as there's been shutdowns all over this world and Christians in this country are being told that they cannot meet with the people of God and worship and I am just convinced and concerned that many professing Christians will find themselves drifting and drifting and drifting. And who knows when we're going to be able to meet again. They may not ever find themselves in church. They just drift off and they're gone. And listen, the reality is that when we drift, it's a slow drift. You don't notice that you drift. We know that. You know, my, my, my family and I, we used to go fishing up in Utah, and we would, we would go out in, to this beautiful lake, not very big, but a beautiful lake, and we would go out on the raft. My brother and I would go out on, on, on this boat raft. We never bought an actual boat. We just had like a blow-up raft. We would row it out to the middle of the lake. That's where all the fish were, and we caught tons of fish always. But we'd be in the middle of this lake, and we would have a makeshift anchor, a rock that our dad would tie a good fisherman's knot around, we plop that sucker in the water in the middle of the lake. But we noticed a lot of times that we would slowly drift into the, in, into the shore where it's rocky, where there's branches. Why? Because our anchor was not grounded in the earth. In, at the bottom, wasn't grounded. And slowly we would drift and we would drift and we would drift and we would actually become in danger that our boat would actually pop and, and, and we would lose everything that we had in the boat. 
My point is this, that the drift is slow and you ought, and you ought not notice it at all, oftentimes. And you might think you have the anchor, you threw the anchor down. But you have to have that anchor grounded. It has to be grounded. So it is with Christ. We must make sure that our anchor is firmly set in Him. And so, as we talk about persevering in the faith, I have titled this sermon, Together, We Must Persevere in the Faith. Now let me explain why I use those words very strategically. Listen, folks. God uses means to persevere His children to the end. And the means is the church. The means is one another. The means is your brothers and sisters in Christ spurring you on, telling you to endure, endure, endure. And we must know that finishing the race is a community project. It's a community project. And you personally are responsible to persevere. I cannot persevere for you. You persevere, you're responsible for that. But no one perseveres alone. No one perseveres alone. We must persevere in community. And listen, the, the Scriptures speak in such a way that should not make us comfortable or complacent. The Scriptures speak in such a way that we should not say, well, since I'm guaranteed to make it to the end, I'm saved, I've been baptized, I'm part of a biblical church, I'll make it to the end, I'll pay no attention to my soul. Scripture speaks in such a way that you should be very cautious of, of, of thinking that. Or to say, you know what, I will give no attention to the spiritual temperature of my heart toward Christ. I'm okay, there's no need for examination in my heart. Scripture speaks in such a way that should guard you from doing that. And we read one of those in Mark chapter 4 with the parable of the soils. And if you have a Bible, open up there real quick with me. I want to, I, I want to make a few points here. When we read Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower... Jesus interpreted for us from verses 13 down to verse 20 what the parable actually meant. And I want to highlight two or, or, or two, a few things in here to show us that we need to be cautious on the condition of our heart. That, that second soil, we read here that, that the second soil is like those who the seed is sown on rocky ground, verse 16. This is the one who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. They are excited about their faith. They, they are eager to tell everybody. They get baptized. They come. They have all the, all the, all the intentions of growing in the faith. All the intentions of coming. They're, they're here all the time in the beginning. They are excited. They receive it with joy. And then what happens? He says they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. They do not endure. And what happens? He says, this is what happens when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word. Immediately they fall away. 
in Matthew's gospel, he says that this happens on account of the word to test the genuineness of the profession. Listen, folks, difficulties will come in your life. They'll come. And the warning is that here, that this, this, this was not a true profession. And when the difficulty came, this person just fell away. They drifted off. We ought not be complacent. And maybe they find themselves in church still. But they've drifted in Bible reading, drifted in prayer, drifted in evangelism, drifted in serving the Lord. There's just none of that anymore. Yeah, they come to church every week, but they're all but gone. And then you see the third soil, equally as dangerous. This is the one who is sown among the thorns. And what happens? These are the ones who hear the word and they sprout and they're growing. But what does it say? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things come in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And these people are those who, they're not consumed with knowing God. They're consumed with the world. They're consumed with money and the desires for other things that comes in and chokes out the word. And it proves to be unfruitful. And listen, if you've, if you've read your Bible, when trees are unfruitful, that's never a good thing. They get chopped down and thrown into the fire and they're burned. Growing up, we had a tree in our backyard that never grew, ever. You know what tree I'm talking about? My, my, my mom's here. There was a tree back there. It never grew. You would water this thing over and over and over. And I, when I used to water the yard manually with the hose, I would give this tree more water. But it would never grow. It never grew, folks. I'm telling you, my mom's here. She can testify. 20-something years in that house, this tree never grew. It's next to the palm trees by the, you know, by the pool. Why? It was surrounded by so many other things, the roots were being choked out. And listen, though I could never see what was happening underneath that soil, I couldn't see under the ground. I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I could see it with my eyes. I could see the evidence. I could see the fruit. This tree is not growing. All these other trees have grown. This one's been, 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 been parched. And so it is with the human heart. You can't see inside your heart. I don't know what's going on in there. But listen, oftentimes we don't have to see inside. I can see the evidence. You can see the evidence. The fruit is there. You care more about the things of the world than you do about Christ. That's who these people are. And that's a danger for us, especially in this country. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, folks, come in and choke you out. We ought not be complacent in this. And then we see the fourth soil. This is where we want to be. These are those that they, they hear the word, they receive it. Luke says that they hold it fast. They hold it fast. It falls in good soil. They cling to it. They endure. They produce fruit. And that's where we want to be. And if there's, if there's any book in the, in, in the Bible or in the New Testament that, that speaks on 
or exhorts Christians to remain faithful, to persevere and to endure. It's a book of Hebrews. One commentator writes this. He says, This epistle has a special message for a day marked with apostasy. It addresses a believer who, facing unbelief and disobedience, must stand firm in the faith. The letter to the Hebrews then is an exhortation to faithfulness. To faithfulness. And if you claim the name of Christ, this is an exhortation for you to be faithful to Him. Open up with me to Hebrews. I want to do just a, 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 a brief... We're going to camp out in a couple of places here. Hebrews is toward the back of your New Testament. If you hit James and the three Johns, you went too far. We're going to go... Uh, I just want to point out some verses in here. I want to, I want to make some points on, on, on a few of these. I want us to, first of all, open up to Hebrews chapter 2. And what I want to do is I want to make a, a quick sweep through the book where you have... Uh, the brother here who, this is, this is a written letter, it's a sermon, okay? He is urging and making pleas to the people here, these Hebrew Christians, to remain faithful and not drift away. Look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Flip over to chapter 3. Starting in verse 12, he says, Take care, brothers, pay attention, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It's a plea to... to, to Strive to beware, to not fall away, to hold on to Christ, hold on to the original confidence, firm to the end. Flip over to chapter 4, verse 11. He says in verse 11 of chapter 4, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He's talking about here unbelief, which we'll get to with the nation of Israel. Flip over uh, to chapter 6. Another plea to remain faithful. Chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. He says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end. You hear the plea here, so that none of you, or so, so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. A plea to endure, not to drift away. Flip over with me to chapter 10. In verse 22, 23, 24, 25. Starting in verse 22, chapter 10. He says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure, pure water. Let us hold fast, there it is, the confession of our hope without wavering. 
For he who promises faithful, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Draw near. Hold fast. Con consider how to stir up one another. Flip again to the, the, chapter 12 with me. Last one. Chapter 12, verse 25. He's making his plea here. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking, namely Christ. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, that's Moses, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. Another plea to remain faithful and not drift away. So as we just brush stroke through the epistle, through the, through the, 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 the book here, we see over and over and over again that these Christians were tempted to go back. They were tempted because of the suffering, because of the difficulty they were facing. And over and over and over again, he says, do not cling to Christ. Remain faithful. So we must ask the question then, what causes people to drift away? What, what causes that? I think there could be a number of things that could be said here, but I want to just highlight a couple of them. The first one's in Hebrews chapter 3. Go back over there with me. I want to look at verses 12, 13, and 14. What causes people to not be excited anymore about Christ? What happens to, to people when they just don't care about coming to church anymore? They don't care about reading anymore. Why is that? I think we get one answer right here. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. First thing here is the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Sin lies to you. Sin lies to your heart. Sin wants to do all it can to persuade you to taste of its delicacies. Sin would, would, would have you to do anything just to come and sit with it and to feast upon it. It's deceitful. We know this with Eve. Eve in the garden in chapter 3 verse 13, she was deceived before she sinned against God and ate. Sin lies. It lies by telling us stuff about God. It lies about God's character. It lies, it lies about God's goodness, God's faithfulness, the trustworthiness of God's Word. When sin lies, brethren, the heart begins to harden. The heart begins to then doubt God. Unbelief. Doubting God of who He is. 
and you don't believe. And then what you do is you start looking at evil and you look at sin and it looks more desirable than the things of God. Look at what it says. Sin deceives. Sin lies. And then through the lying of sin, it hardens the heart. The heart begins to be hardening and then it is an unbelieving heart. That's what the text says. It doubts God and then it leads you to then choose evil. Sin is a liar. God, or, 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 or sin telling you God's not worth it. This suffering that you're going through, just throw in the towel. Just quit. Quit the race. Throw it in. Not worth it. Don't persevere. Go back to the old life. It was more fun. Much more easier. Certainly. Do not be deceived by sin. Sin will tell you that your sin is okay. And Paul warns us over and over and over again in the, throughout his letters, do not be deceived. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Paul writing, he says, You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do not be deceived. Why? Because we're prone to thinking, yeah, I just be in my sin, no big deal. It's all right. Ah, God's grace. We're just saying, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace is greater than all of our sin. So I'll just walk in my, in my sin. What does Paul say in Romans 6? Shall, grace, shall, shall, shall sin continue so that grace may abound? By no means. Do not be deceived. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Sin deceives and it tells you your sin's okay. Paul says and God's word says no. Sin blinds you to the truth. Look at this, and I don't have a lot. Of, I'm not, I don't have time to really go into this, but I, I, I got to give you a little bit of context. What what, what the Hebrew is uh, writer here is saying is that he's comparing this to the nation of Israel. In the nation of Israel, back in Numbers chapter 14, we read that they come into the Promised Land. They come right to the edge of it. They're right there, the Promised Land, the, the land that God promised them. It's yours. Go in there, vomit out the nations. Take over. This is the land I'm giving you. Enter in. And they stand at the border of the promised land and they say, no, we're going back. We're going back. God's not faithful. We're going to get slayed down there. Those guys, there's, there's way more of them than us. We're like grasshoppers. We're nothing. We're going to get slayed. And they go back. Why? Because of unbelief. Unbelief. So sin deceives, and what? And then what do we conclude? Well, like I just said, sin lies, and in the lie, it deceives the heart. And then your heart becomes hardened when you begin to believe the lies. And that hardening leads to unbelief, you doubting God, which leads you to choose evil rather than Him. And that's what leads you to fall away, folks. Sin is deceitful. We need to remain faithful to Christ.
And that and that's the picture there in Romans or in Hebrews chapter three that that Moses is faithful, Christ is faithful, and we as people of God need to be faithful. Need to be faithful to Him. What else? Number two. Why do people drift away? Deceitfulness of sin, and also a false sense of security. Flip over with me to, to Hebrews chapter twelve. I want to read verses 15. He says here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You might ask yourself, false security? Where do you get that from, from the text? Well, when you look at this, this, this phrase, root of bitterness, he's referring back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. And I want to... You guys have flip here with me. I want to show you this. Deuteronomy chapter 29. And we're going to shed some more light here on having a false sense of security. Deuteronomy chapter 29, starting in verse 16, we're going to, we're going to read of this, of this root of bitterness here. Deuteronomy chapter 29, starting in verse 16. And while you're flipping there, I'll give you some context. So the people of Israel did not enter the promised land. They went out into the wilderness, wandered for 40 years. God swore that none of that generation would enter in because of unbelief. Now, second generation is going to come into the promised land. And here, Moses is giving a series of sermons to prepare them for life in the promised land. And he's reminding them here of what happened in the past. He said this, uh, starting at verse 16. He says, You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Verse 18, Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This is what I'm talking about, about having a false sense of security. He is saying that there are those who when they hear the Word of God, when they hear the warnings, the exhortations, they sit there and say to themselves, I'm good. I'm safe. I'm in. I'm in. I'm here, aren't I? I'm in. How is that a false sense of security? 
What does the text say? Say, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. These are those who are, their heart is unyielding to the Word of God. Hearing the Word of God and refusing to submit to it. Refusing to be moved by it. Refusing to obey it. Walking in the stubbornness of their heart. I'll escape judgment. I'm good. I shall be safe. And they bless Himself. Saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Is that your heart? Is that your heart? Do you come to church week after week after week and you are unyielding to the Word of God? And you walk in stubbornness? And you continue in sin? And do you tell yourself when you hear things like this about, about falling away and judgment, do you sit and say to yourself, I'm safe. I was baptized. I'm safe. I've been going to church for five, ten years. I'm safe. My parents are Christians. Though you walk in the stubbornness of your heart. Folks, the reality is that when we come underneath the hearing of Scripture, we need to heed. We need to take heed to God's Word. You would not have a false sense of security despising the Word of God. That's what Esau did. He despised God's grace. He traded everything away for a bowl of soup. He was absorbed in the pleasures and possessions of the world. Is that you? Repent. Repent. The deceitfulness of sin and a false sense of security are just a few things that lead people to fall away. We must remain faithful, brethren. And as the, the author of Hebrews gives warning after warning and plea after plea after plea, he also gives pleas for corporate responsibility for Christians to look out for each other. Go back to Hebrews. I want to walk through or just read a few texts as we sweep through the book. Because that's what, that's what my heart is today. That you would persevere. That you would not be deceived by sin. That you would not have a false sense of security. I want you to persevere. If you claim Christ, you must persevere. But how? We're going to walk through this. First, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, back to verse 12 and 13 again. These are corporate responsibility, corporate pleas for Christians to look after each other. Look at what he says. He says, take care, brothers. Church, pay attention. Lest there be in any of you an unbelieving, evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But what? Exhort one another every day as long as it is, is called today. Why? Why? That you, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Go to 4.11. Next, next chapter over. We just read this verse. There's, another, there, there's, there's, there's good things in here. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no, no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us strive. He's talking to His church. Let us strive together. 
so that no one may fall by the wayside of disobeying God. Look at in 10.25. We read it. You might have heard it. The plea for corporate responsibility for Christians. He says in, in 10.24, or 10.24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So then, how do we persevere in the faith together? What is the remedy for unbelief? I have a few things here that I want to encourage us with. First one, exhortation. This is what he says back in Hebrews chapter 3. This is the antidote to unbelief. Exhorting one another. Exhorting one another. Chapter 3, verse 13. Every day. And what is exhortation? Well, the idea is to come alongside. To come near to someone. To get close to them. It's also translated in, in, in other parts of Scripture as encourage. It means to speak biblical truth into the lives of one another. This is very important. Exhortation, exhorting people, is not just coming alongside and cheering them on. You could do it, Johnny. You know, like when you're running a marathon, those guys are yelling on the side. They don't help you, telling you anything. It's not cheerleading. It's, and it's certainly not telling people to believe in themselves. You just need to believe in yourself. And it's not giving them words of affirmation. Telling them just how amazing they are. That's not what exhortation is. Biblical exhortation is coming alongside one another and speaking the truth of God into their life. And we see that in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, when Paul is talking about qualifications for elders. And he says there that an elder must give instruction and sound doctrine. That word, give instruction, is the same word to exhort or encourage. So what do we learn? That we are to teach one another the Word of God. To speak the Word of God into one another's lives. You see your brother or your sister erring and drifting. You ought to go to them. You ought to go to them with the Word of God. Why? So that they do not drift away and fall from the living God. This implies two things. That we need to be in the lives of one another. Up close. That's what the word means. To come alongside up close. It also implies that you are a member of a local church, a biblical church that preaches the gospel, that exercises church discipline, that has the right uh, uh, giving of the sacraments, baptism in the Lord's Supper. You need to be plugged in to a local church. That's where this happens. Second one. But to exhort, we're also to watch over one another with care. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. So how do we do this? How do we persevere together? We watch over one another with care. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now listen, I don't know Greek, okay? I don't, but I have enough Greek resources to play around a little bit, and it's actually quite helpful, okay? So, actually, what's, what's really cool here is that this word, see to it that, 
in Greek is the same word that Peter tells pastors and elders to do to oversee the flock. Episkopos. To oversee them. So what do we see here? The, the, the writer of Hebrews is telling the church to oversee one another. Look out for one another with care. Listen, looking out for each other is not the, just the job of the pastors. It's not the job of your pastor to come in and, and, and well, my friend's out of line. I'm going to bring her, bring her to the pastor, bring him to the pastor. No, you speak into their life. You're called to watch over that soul as the, as the pastors and the elders watch over the flock. We're to be looking out for one another. And listen, if you think that it's the pastor's job and his alone to, to do that, then you have a weak understanding of church membership. You have a weak understanding of what it means to be in the body of Christ. You have a weak understanding of persevering in the faith together, which I, which I hope I'm trying to correct here. And listen, if you're not a Christian here today, this is important for you to know that when you repent of your sins and believe upon Christ, and you come into a local church, into the body of Christ through baptism, you need to know that your brothers and sisters are going to watch over you. And that's good and right to take care of you, to guard you, to speak into your life. But the Christian walk is not one to do alone. And we live in this individualistic culture that just says it's all about me. I, I, I. I need my space. I need my phone. I need my own room. I need my own house. I, I need space. I got to get away. I, need to, I, me, me, me. Give me, 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 me. Christian life says no. You're in community. You see the early church meeting together every single day, breaking bread, encouraging one another, praying together in the apostles' doctrine and teaching, all the time together. And that's one thing that I just love about being down here is, you know, you folks that come to this, come, come here regularly, I see you guys like three or four days a week or more. Praise God. Praise the Lord in community. Why? Because if you start to err, we're going to notice and we're going to speak into your life. Flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Now here we have uh, a few other ways on how we encourage one another. Chapter 5, verse 14, I think this is, this is highly important for us. He says here, Paul writing, he says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. This is good because, listen, the fact of the matter is, not all of us need the same thing. Okay, I coached baseball for a long time, loved it, wanted to coach uh, college and professional and all those things. And I, and, and I knew that if I treated every kid the same way and told them the same things, I wouldn't get through to them. We need different things in different times of our life. And that's what Paul says here. He says first to admonish the idle. This word can also mean to warn them, to counsel them. These are those that are undisciplined, Lazy, unruly. And listen, spiritual idleness is a breeding ground for sin. 
Why is it that you never want to jump into a pond? It's just sitting there, idle. You don't jump into that water, it's disgusting. It's a breeding ground for all kinds of filth. The same thing, spiritual idleness is a breeding ground for sin. Do not find yourself idle in Bible reading. Do not find yourself idle in prayer. Do not find yourself idle in attending the church prayer meeting or serving or evangelism or whatever it is. Do not find yourself idle. King David was idle. King David was idle when he should have went to war with the nation of Israel. King David was idle as he walked on his roof. And he was idle as he watched Bathsheba bathing. But I'll tell you what, folks, those of you who know this account, he was not idle to go and get her to sleep with her. He was not idle to try to cover up his sin. He was not idle to murder her husband. And he was not idle to try to hide this from the living God. Oh, how easy it is to slip from a life of idleness into a life of wickedness. Do not be idle. Then he says also, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage them. Exhort them. The faint-hearted. Who are these? These are those that are lacking courage. Lacking courage in the Christian faith. And in the context of Thessalonians, they were facing some serious hardship, some serious persecution. You read these letters, and they're suffering. And so no doubt there are those who are lacking courage. Lacking courage to look suffering and death and, and, and hardship in the face. And these folk need to be encouraged to be spoken the Word of God to, to exhort in the faith. If you warn those ones, that's not what they need. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. I think, I think here we can, we can say to help the weak spiritually. Help those that are immature in Christ. Disciple. Train. We want them to be sound in the faith, sound in the Lord, that they would dig roots deep and not be like the second soil who had no root, but when the sun came up, they got scorched. We want to be discipling and getting those roots grounded in God's Word. Help them. We're to help them, we're not to abandon them. It's easy to abandon the weak, brethren. It's easy. It's easy to disciple people that are on fire for Christ. That's easy. But it's hard to disciple those who are weak and immature, to help them. And we're to do this all with patience, long-suffering. Listen, the reality is this. When you get into the lives of one another, and you start speaking truth into one another's lives and start to correct some error, the other person's not going to like you very much. Right? At least temporarily. When my wife corrects me, I don't go, oh, honey, thank you for correcting me. I'm just so joyful over you. No, of course not. You correct me, I'll show you. You correct me, I'm going to go hide in my room for a couple hours and God deals with me and I come out and repent. Same thing with her. I love her. You know? But listen, when you're coming alongside one another and you start to speak into each other's lives, people aren't going to like that. But listen, you need to suffer long with them. And if you're on the other side of that, you need to have the best... For your, you need to be thinking the best for your brother or your sister. That they're coming to you out of love, concerned for you. Because we persevere together in the faith. That's the point. You know, I have a note here that, you know, God forbid that we would be a church 
where we can't speak into each other's lives without getting offended all the time. Root that out, that pride. Get that out of here. When people come alongside of you and tell you lovingly that you're erring, come on, come back. Be the long suffer, brothers. And listen, some of you are doing exactly this. There are some of you here, and you know who you are. You are exhorting, you are encouraging, you are admonishing. You are speaking truth in the one another's lives. Keep that up. Keep it up. Continue to do that. Continue to watch out for the souls of your brethren. Continue that. Press on. Do not grow weary in doing that. It's the ultimate love for your neighbor and for your brother in Christ. Continue. Continue. Do not grow weary. Listen, we are like watchmen. We're like watchmen on the wall. And we read that text in Ezekiel 33. And the watchmen had two jobs. The first job was to stay awake. Pay attention. Watchmen sleeping doesn't do their job. And when the watchman sees the enemy coming in, the watchman sees the enemy making a move, their job was to immediately sound the trumpet. Immediately. Blow the horn. The enemy is coming in. I could see him. He's pursuing if, if, if the watchman sees that and goes, eh, well, should I make a call here? Eh, they're coming. We got, we got some time. Unfaithful. It's an unfaithful watchman. And those in the city had two responsibilities. When you heard that trumpet blown, you took heed to the call that danger is coming. And if you said, oh, they're far away, we got time. The Word of God says, in the, your blood be on your own hands. When the enemy comes and takes you over. We are watchmen, brethren. Watch out for the souls of those around you. You have a responsibility to act. You must take heed to the Word of God and not be indifferent. As we wrap this up, you know, no doubt, listen. There are some of you in this room that are in the second and third soil. You started well and you drifted off. Repent. Come to Christ. Return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And no doubt there are some of you here who profess Christ, but the world has come in and choked out the fruit. Cut those roots. Cut that. Abandon the world. Do not love this world. Flee from it. Christ's call to you is repent. Come. Come to me. Come. And also no doubt to some of you in this room that are pursuing Christ and running hard after Him. Continue to run hard after Him. Cling to Him by faith. Don't be unbelieving like Israel. You are the true Israel. Believe in the promises of God. Brethren, may we persevere in the faith together. Watch over one another. Speak into one another's lives. And if you're not part of a local church, get plugged into one. It's so important. We need one another. God has given means to see that you make it to the end. Don't neglect them. 
Let's pray.